Hi, Audrey. Hi, Kayla. It's so good to hear. Oh, sorry. I was going to say it's so good to hear your voice again. And you. you. It's not like we just talked for an hour already tonight. You hush. <laughs> we did. It's Mordor, she wrote. It- the podcast where we read Lord of the Rings one chapter at a time because Kayla has little to no familiarity with Lord of the Rings and I have what many would say is too much familiarity with Lord of the Rings. I think it was a healthy obsession to grow up with. Audrey is the Gandalf to my Frodo or my Bilbo, depending on what Hobbit your Hobbit preferences are. And I am bumbling through Middle Earth one Misread word at a time. We read today The Council of Elrond, which is chapter two in book two of Fellowship of the Ring, or chapter 14 if you're not counting the pesky book split in the middle of this book. I'm just telling you for the purposes of episode posting, I am not counting the book split. This is chapter 14 as far as I'm concerned. That is perfectly excellent. So when this one's called The Council of Elrond, is. because as we learned in the last chapter, the hobbits and Strider had come to Rivendell, where they were reunited with Gandalf and Bilbo, and Frodo's wound was healed, and they met a bunch of pretty-looking elves, and Glowen from Bilbo's group was here. That was a nice camp. Uh, yeah, so this was my impression of what is to come soon. So I felt like the first, according to my Kindle, 54 to 59% of this book was getting a steam engine primed and ready to go. And then this chapter is throwing the fuel in and then we pick up between now and the end of the book. Would that be a correct assumption to make? I think that that's a fair assumption, although I am going to tell you that you're still going to have to read through some chapters where it's mostly walking. I mean, fair. It's like my expectations on the walking are not non-existent. It's just, it's Tolkien. Like, we're going to walk for 45 pages and the trees are lovely. Right. There's just going to be some more people, potentially. Um, But we meet those people in this chapter, which, as I believe that you had texted me, you felt was very strongly an info dump chapter. And I can't say that you're wrong. I didn't hate it. I mean, I love learning things to an extent. And I felt like this was a lot of, there was a lot of what I feel was unnecessary information. But I feel like there was more necessary information than not. I'm also going to point out one other thing that, I, I didn't think was going to make me sad, and then it did. There was not one mention, not a sniff, not a whiff, of a pony in chapter 13 or chapter 14. Uh, that is incorrect. Gandalf specifically outs himself as a horse girl in this chapter. No, I mean specifically the phrase, the word pony. Oh, yes, like the hobbit ponies. Yes, okay, the hobbit okay. ponies. Well, they're stabled. They're fine. That's what we presume. They're fine. They're living it up with some elf horses, right? They better be. Yeah, so we start off uh, with Bilbo greeting Frodo. They're headed to the council. There's like a bell summoning everybody to the council and Gandalf's going too. So they they head to like this meeting space, um, which is outdoors. 
I will say based on the descriptions. I will say I made it a grand total of four paragraphs into this chapter before I wrote something along the lines of I feel like I'm about to experience a rather large info dump because of this particular quote. What's the quote? You may have a chance later, said Gandalf, but we cannot make any plans yet. There is much to hear and decide today. And And indeed, indeed. there is much to hear and decide. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we all know what they're going to decide to do because we have to decide lots of things, I guess, before I get to the, I'll save the. Well, mainly pertaining to the ring. I think that people who are listening or reading along with us can at this point infer that the big, the big to do, the big fuss with the Black Riders scurrying everywhere is because of the ring. And they have to decide what to do with the ring. Also, there's a line in here about Sam that made me very sad for him. Frodo and Bilbo followed the wizard quickly along the winding path back to the house. Behind them, uninvited and for the moment forgotten, trotted Sam. Yes, that that is really sad. (laughs) It's kind of a reminder of like the class divide that um, even outside the Shire is apparent because there's like a divide between... Bilbo and Frodo, who both have been or currently are ring bearers, and Sam, mm-hmm. who is an attendant, basically, to Frodo. And more. Listen. You've heard us talk about that plenty. Sam deserves more than what he gets from Frodo. And I'm just going to, I'm like, Sam, you can do better. Find yourself a nice hobbit person of your choosing. We'll we'll see what happens. We'll see if if Sam finds a hobbit of his choosing. But first, we got to meet like just a bunch of people, like so, Gimli. Yeah, Gimli is the first one mentioned. He is the son of Gloin. I'm all and excited, like I know who the hell he is. I, I, I oh, it's I know he's a dwarf and he's Gloin's son. So we've yeah, that. there you go. So then we've got mention of Glorfindel again. Some other counselors. From the household, uh, we find out that the chief counselor is named Arrestor. I don't know that we care. Uh, Galdor, which he is an elf from the Grey Havens on an errand from Círdan the Shipwright. Yes. Man, this is just a lot of names. And then we have a strange elf clad in green and brown, Legolas, a messenger from his father, Thranduil, the king of the elves of northern Mirkwood. I said Audrey's childhood crush has also arrived. That's correct. I will send you a picture that you can post on Instagram of my closet door that is still covered in torn out calendar pages of Orlando Bloom's face that my mom hasn't taken down yet. Listen, I feel like there were two flavors of Orlando Bloom girls in the early aughts. There was... You can be both. I liked Will Turner also. Okay, Okay, but remember, I had no frame of reference for Lord of Rings, so I was definitely a Will Turner. I was definitely a Will Turner bloom girl the thing is i liked legolas a lot i mean i liked will turner better it's <laughs> just like something about the There's lovelorn a grimy like a slightly grimy man like legolas you want to sit on the shelf and admire how shiny it is you want will turner to cut your clothes off with his sword that he made himself oh yes okay spicy but true Spicy but true. Sorry, it's been a really boring summer so far. No, I, it's okay. I'll take a boring yeah, summer over that. 
Anyways. Anyways. Uh, yeah. And then we also meet Boromir, who is a, let's see, described as a tall man with a fair and noble face, dark haired and gray eyed, proud and stern of glance. He is a man from the South and seeks counsel. Okay. So, so yeah, there is, um, here's the, the thing that I thought was funny that I underlined. Um, not all that was spoken and debated in the council need now be told. Really, Tolkien? Really? You're about to give us the longest chapter we've read in this book so far, and you're telling us that's not everything that was discussed? Oh my god, where is that? Because I'm pretty sure I underlined it somewhere, too. This is right after uh, Elrond introduces Boromir. It's the next paragraph. Oh, yeah. That was the one part of that paragraph I, I was like, oh, yeah. So at this point, I have um, noted that it seems as though the Fellowship is coming together. Of the members of the Fellowship whose names I have encountered briefly, I remember Mary Pippin, Sam, Frodo, Gandalf, Gimli, Boromir, and Aragorn. Aragorn, Jesus Christ. I knew I was going to fuck it up one day. But it's okay. Is that the Fellowship? It's... Is that all of them? Have, have... Uh, you forgot. We My childhood crush. Kayla. Oh yeah, Legolas. Well, I was like at this point I didn't know Legolas was going I didn't officially know Legolas was going to join. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean you you got most of them, yeah. So the Avengers um, have assembled more or less. Per, more or less. So essentially what we get here is just like a everybody taking it in turns to talk about how stuff's going to shit. Yeah, so we start with Glowing kind of telling us what is going on with Is it is Moria a city? Like a mountain so city? So Moria Yes, Moria is like a city of caverns and tunnels dug under a mountain. So I know I know everybody has strong feelings about the series Aragon, but that is my first point of reference for a world like this. And there was um it escapes me at the moment, but the elves have a city in the in the mountains in the south of Paolini lifted it directly from Tolkien. I know I know he did and I was like I cannot remember for the life of me what word it is it it's not the Vard is it I don't Varda is the name of Varden like, rebellion yes Varden there is that is the anyways it doesn't matter here don't don't ask me anything about Aragon because I retained basically nothing except for how boring the elves were it was Lord of the Ring it was um Star Wars set in Lord of the Rings meets Star Wars yeah yeah it was Star Wars set in in Middle Earth that is literally like that's all you need to know about Aragon I could do a whole podcast on the original trilogy of Star Wars set in Middle Earth. I could do a whole podcast ragging on Aragon, which makes it sound like I didn't like it because I did. I enjoyed it, but the at the time the point of the point of that statement was he was telling us about the loss of a city called Moria, and I'm gonna let you right take it from there. Yes, so um, Moria Glowen implies what he says is Moria, Moria, wonder of the northern world. Too deep we delved there and woke the nameless fear. So basically, Moria is a city that the dwarves had to abandon after they unearthed something horrible from the depths. So that was 30 years ago. Um, They had sent people to go back to Moria um, to kind of revive the city, but then they never got word back. So I actually actually wrote a brief summary about this part, and you can correct me on any part right here. Yes? Yeah, that's So, fine. I have Glowin reveals his reason for being in Rivendell. No messengers had come back from Moria in a long time, and that was 
where I said, I'm assuming this is an old dwarvish dwelling or kingdom. And finally, one of the messengers come back, Dan or Dane, I believe. I've always said Dane, but there is an accent mark on the I day, have no so. idea. And it report and this person reports that they had been visited by either Sauron or a messenger from Sauron. A messenger. Yes. So the messenger tells that Sauron is searching for information about hobbits, specifically the one that has the ring, possibly Bilbo, most likely Frodo. He promises the dwarves that they can have the three rings Sauron gave to the dwarves originally, as well as having Moria restored to them in exchange for information about the Hobbit, the return of the ring, or best case scenario, both the ring and the Hobbit. And the dwarves basically tell Sauron that they need to think about it, and then they secretly, like, boot scoot and boogie out of there when Sauron comes knocking again, and they come to Rivendell to find out what the hell is going on. Yes. So the dwarf rings, they had seven originally gifted to them um, for old dwarf lords. And basically when the dwarves kind of fell because of the rings, a lot of them were lost. So the promise of like three of them being returned is not a small thing. And Moria was like the greatest of the dwarvish cities. So um, also not a small thing. So yeah, yeah, that wasn't a very accurate summary. I was paying the most uh, attention during the first half of this chapter. It went downhill. Well, the thing is here, too, this is Glowen talking, and he obviously already knows Bilbo, so he knew when they were asking about hobbits that probably it was about Bilbo. And so he specifically came here to warn Bilbo. Um, And Elrond is really happy that they've come and says that, you know, we're going to explain what's going on with the enemy, and it's enemy with a capital E. Yeah, and I I make a snarky comment at this point that I would really love to get to the reason. (laughs) Because <laughs> they promised now three times that we're going to find out why everybody is here. But everybody has to tell their story of what's been going on first, which I get. So I have, I reined my patience in. Well, I appreciate that. There is a fun sentence in uh, Sa- or Sauron, in Elrond's speech here in response to Glowen. Uh, he says, that is the doom that we must deem. And that's just a very pleasing sentence to me. Doom and Deem. I have that. Same I also have that uh, highlighted. I love that we have like the same instincts for this kind of thing. Uh, yes. So then Elrond says something that I also wanted to note. He says, that is the purpose for which you are called hither. Called, I say, though I have not called you to me, strangers from distant lands. You have come and are here met in this very nick of time by chance, as it may seem. Yet it is not so. Believe rather that it is so ordered that we who sit here and none others must now find counsel for the peril of the world. So I highlighted that too. It kind of implies that like destiny or fate is working here. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Just a destiny and fate come up a lot in this chapter i think there's a spot where frodo is dealing with that a little bit late we'll get there and there is yeah we'll get there we'll get there we're just gonna we're gonna be elrond to our listeners we'll get there listeners we'll get there we'll talk about it but as i will (laughs) say dear listeners we do have to lay the groundwork for that particular discussion to make sense I am going to kind of speed over a lot of stuff because it is ground. There is some ground being tread in this chapter that refers to things that we are already aware of. So uh, the first thing is Elrond talks about uh, basically the history of Middle-earth and how Sauron came to power with the ring originally and the other rings. 
Um, Listen, I was part of his tail was. I was happy for the little info dump about is it Isildur? A Sealdor. Sealdor. Okay, I was happy about that little info dump because I definitely forgot who that was. Right. So the in short, because it says, uh, let's see, a part of his tail was known to some there, but the full tail to none. So he talks about elf smiths, the friends with Moria, everybody trying to get knowledge, basically, and Elrond using that against them with these rings. Yeah. And then talking about how, um, let's see, then through all the years that followed, he traced the ring. But since that history is elsewhere recounted, even as Elrond himself set it down in his books of lore, it is not here recalled. So he just doesn't tell us what happens to the ring uh, in like the t- the years of Sauron. That is something that's in the Silmarillion. I was about to say it's a. Uh, please go read my other book. I know that's not what it, it was is, there. Which is, I know that. No, it's so funny though because it's like the Silmarillion wasn't published. Like it was just a bunch of notes at this point because it was right. published uh, posthumously. Right. Didn't Peter, his son, publish that? Uh, his son's name Christopher, is Christopher. There we go. But yes. There we go. I'm still thinking of Peter it. Jackson. My bad. No, it's totally good. We can solve this problem by calling Peter Jackson PJ. <laughs> That's um, cute. <laughs> anyway, they he talks about fighting against Sauron and how uh, the kings of Numenor, which is referred to in the last chapter when we learn another name for Aragorn is the Dunedain, which means the man of the West from Numenor. Mm -hmm. So this is a line of kings from an ancient uh, city that sunk, which is all I'm going to tell you about Numenor. And we Um, know that Aragorn's line is from these particular folks because of Dunedain, which is the name that Bilbo calls. Right, because exactly. Uh, yeah, so there's the, he talks about Elendil the Tall, his sons Isildur and Anarion. They were lords. That is a great um, name. I'm sorry, Anarion. I I would never name my child that, but like, it's amazing, that's a great right? Name. As a fantasy name, yes. a very good one. And then you've got words um, like Gondor and Mount Doom and the Misty Mountains. Sure, sure. Uh, I get it. But so so the the kings of men and the elf lords Gilgalad uh, is the one that. Elrond name drops Uh um they make an alliance to fight against Sauron and there's like a brief pause where we return to actual dialogue instead of just like a sum up where Elrond talks about actually remembering this because he was there and Frodo is extremely surprised about this so Kayla you remember how in the last chapter Bilbo wrote a really long fucking song about uh Erendil the Mariner King yes of the elves. Isn't that his yeah. father? And how Aragorn was like, hey, you got some nerve to make a song about him here. I'm not going to help you. You remember that? Yes. That is Elrond's father. Yes, it is. See, I was paying attention more than I yeah, thought I, I was. I knew you were. I okay. knew you were. Uh, so, yeah. And then his grandma was Luthien. Uh-huh. Um. But so so Elrond slips into actual dialogue here. Um, he was the herald of Gilgalad, marching with his army, and they fought in Mordor to take uh, take down Sauron. And what happened was uh, Elendil's sword, Narsil, broke. Yes. And Isildur took up the shards and cut the ring off of Sauron's hand. And that's how they defeated him, basically. Uh, Boromir breaks in to tell us that no one in Gondor knows this story and um, mm-hmm. 
And then we hear kind of about the bad stuff that happens to Isildur after that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this came up earlier in the book, shouldn't it? Isn't it in like a, um, like the preface or a prologue or, I feel like I've heard this story elsewhere. So this is or a Gandalf prologue told in, it to Frodo. This is a prologue in the movie for sure. Um, in the book, there is some mention of a sealed or by Gandalf. You are correct. I think that he does refer to the ring as having belonged to a sealed or. And the shards of the sword. Shards of Narsil, yeah. yeah. Like not the whole story, but I'm like, I know, I know these names. This does not feel unfamiliar. I think he's recounting a brief history of the ring to Frodo when it comes into his possession. Yes. Yeah. It's just some names and vague details. It's not, it's not as detailed as what uh, Elrond is telling us now. I'm glad he went ahead and planted Um, the seed because I'd be lost AF right now. It's a lot of names. names. And it's like war history too. So, but fantasy war history. So even more like dense. Um, But in any case, the result of this was that Isildur took the ring and uh, they told him to throw it into the fire of the volcano Arudrun, as you might know it, Mount Doom. Mm -hmm. And he didn't do that. Nope, Um, he kept it. Yeah. But he was betrayed to it by by it to his death. Mm -hmm. So it is called Isildur's Bane. Um, They don't super talk about what happened to him but it betrayed him and he died the end ring was lost to history um sauron was diminished but not destroyed because the ring wasn't destroyed so like his will slash spirit is kind of attached to the ring and it allowed it it allowed him to persist oh look jk rowling stealing ideas from other fantasy writers always also uh tolkien calls uh, the Dark Tower was broken. So Stephen King, also stealing from Tolkien. Everybody. Um, Tolkien influenced every modern fantasy writer. There is- I think that that is safe to say, whether they know it or not. So we get some more history about the fall of Numenor and the line of Isildur and Elendil being broken and blah, blah, blah. And then it is Boromir's turn to talk. Say, so you got to stop me if, if you've highlighted something. You want to take this one? No, because I didn't highlight anything here. So you you go okay, right on. Well, ahead. then we'll we'll blow through it. Then so Boromir's real proud of Gondor. He's real mad about the implication that just because the line of Elendil is broken, that Gondor sucks now. And um, yeah, believe not that in the land of Gondor the blood of Numenor is spent, nor all its pride and dignity forgotten. By our valor, the wild folk of the East are still restrained, and the terror of Morgul kept at bay. And thus alone are peace and freedom maintained in the lands behind us, bulwark of the West. So basically, he's like, hey, we're the last line of defense. Don't shit talk us. I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah, he says that smoke's coming from Mount Doom again. He knows that they're, he says they're beset often. Uh, They've been driven out of the stronghold Athelion by the enemy. Mm -hmm. (sighs) They are, he talks about different, like, groups of men that have joined with the forces of Mordor, the Easterlings, the Haradrim. Um, and then he says, but it's not by numbers that we were defeated. A power was there that we've not felt before. So th- he's talking, theoretically, you can assume that he's talking about um, at least one of the ringwraiths being there. Right. Well, isn't that so what he, he has come? Isn't that basically what he says in the next paragraph? Some say that it could be seen like a great black horseman, a dark shadow under the moon. Okay, maybe not. Never mind. 
Yes. So the implication here is that it is uh, um, certainly one of the ringwraiths, um, one of the Nazgul Black Riders. So um, I know who it is specifically, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> gotcha. um, sorry. Spoilers. Um, regardless, um, he talks about him and his brother trying to hold Osgiliath, which they managed to or they didn't manage to hold on oh, to. Okay. Um, so I want to talk about this part. Come. So him and his brother um, have come because his brother has had a dream, and he's his brother didn't come. He what? came on behalf. of He his came brother. on behalf of his brother who was having a dream, and he was like, "My brother sounds crazy." And then he also had the same dream, and in that dream, we get another poem song prediction. I called it a prophecy for like want of a it better word. It is both. It is both poem and pro- prophecy. Uh, and also directive, like it is, it is. Yeah, and he's um, like telling him to do something, and it, he's like, "What the fuck does this mean?" And I broke it down based off what I thought it meant. Because please tell me. So it's. Do you want me to read the original first? Yes, or please. You, is that coming in your analysis? Go okay, ahead. so the original says, "Seek for the sword that was broken. In Imladris it dwells. There shall be counsels taken stronger than Morgul spells." There shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand, for a sealer's bane shall waken, and the halfling forth shall stand. So this seemed like a very straightforward prediction to me. Um, lines one and two are referring to the sword of Isildur, which I believe is in Rivendell. It's confirmed yes. later in this chapter, but... Um, that is correct. Which is where Boromir has come. It tells him to seek for the sword that was broken. So here we are in Rivendell. Lines three and four, I think, predicts the council that they are currently having to discuss what to do about the ring. Five and Indeed. five and six refer refers to the reawakening of Sauron and Mount Doom and such, because Sauron is now aware that the ring is floating out in the ether somewhere. The bane is the ring. I remember reading that somewhere. So in line seven and eight, it's referring to the bane now being. People are aware of it, specifically Sauron. And the halfling in question is Frodo showing that he has the ring. That is not what I have written, but I will save that part. For- that's just fine. I think that that's a pretty pretty good analysis. I was like, well, Kayla, it was, yay. I was like, I'm going to go for the low-hanging fruit here. I'm like, I know this one. I got this. That is excellent. You did great. Thanks. A plus. Thanks. Uh, so this, in in answer to his questions, because he came here for answers, Aragorn stands up and he has a broken blade, the sword that was broken, the Shards of Narsil. And uh, Boromir kind of is like, hey, uh, who the fuck are you, bud? Who, wh- What's the deal? Why do you have that? Yeah. And uh, Elrond is basically like, hey, yeah, he's a Sealder's heir. He's of the line of Elendil. He's the, the guy who is meant to be ruling Gondor. I have, and so, the note I have says, ah, like this is right after um, Aragorn throws the sword down on the table. I'm like, it all begins to neatly come together. I love old school fantasy sometimes. Yes. And so then Frodo tries to say, hey, the ring belongs to you, man. And they tell him to bring it out. So everybody's watching as he sets the ring out, uh, which is indeed a Sealder's Bane. Mm-hmm. And it... Immediately, Boromir is like, oh, the halfling. So, uh... The light, light bulb. Boromir is thinking in terms of his city, which is Minas Tirith, mm-hmm. uh, 
basically the capital of Gondor. And so he is like, oh yeah, so is Minas Tirith going to meet its doom? And Aragorn's just like, yeah, that's not what the prophecy said. Like, hey, hey, hey man, don't be so self-centered. Yeah. Uh, so now Boromir wants to take the ring because he thinks it would help him. And um, he says he wasn't here to ask for any help. He just wanted the answer to the riddle. But now he's seen the ring, right? Right. And he and Aragorn are still kind of kind of facing off against each other. And we get another little poem. Um, Bilbo stands up. It says, he was annoyed on his friend's behalf, which is Aragorn, is the friend in question. So Bilbo says, all that is gold does not glitter, not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither, deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken, a light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king. We have a prediction! We've talked about this, it's been many a month. This is my favorite poem that Tolkien has written. I mean, me too. It's, and it's just a good one. Yes, but see, the line that Bilbo says immediately after is, not very good, perhaps, but to the point. Yes. So he made that up himself. Bilbo is the author of that poem. Um, he made it up specifically for Aragorn. And uh, he says, I almost wish my adventures were not over and I could go with him for when his day comes. So... Aragorn's like, oh yeah, no, don't worry, don't worry, Boromir. I know I don't look a lot like Elendil and Isildur. Um, I'm not Isildur himself. I had a hard life. Uh, you know, my home is in the north. If Gondor has been powerful, like we have also helped them. Like, but Gondor's not alone. Mm. He kind of laments being known only as a ranger and not as like the proud. Um, kingly figure that he could be. Yeah. Let's see. All right. There's so much dialogue. There's so much here. Um, they... Are we to the part where Bilbo says... Um, Let me tell my story, and he does. No, yeah. no, not tell his story where he's like, can we please stop talking? The It's almost lunchtime. I haven't eaten in Elrond. Yes, he says... He says, but not yet, I beg, master. Already the sun is climbing to noon and I feel the need of something to strengthen me. And Elrond's like, I had not named you. He's smiling, but I do so now. Come, tell us your tale. And if you have not yet cast your story into verse, you may tell it in plain words. The briefer, the sooner you shall be refreshed. So he's basically like, okay, Bilbo, don't take too long because we're going to eat lunch after you. I have. So Bilbo tells the account of the Hobbit. I was like, the briefer your story, the sooner you eat. Mood. Also, Elrond knows himself a Hobbit. Yes, they are very, very clearly friends. Uh, so we briefly get mentioned that he told his tale is told. Some people had heard it before, some hadn't. Uh, let's see. And then people are starting to ask questions about Gandalf, specifically the elf Galdor from the Grey Havens. Um, da, 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 da. Okay, so Gandalf, let's see. Let me make sure I'm reading right. Yeah, Gandalf is, he talks about, um, I... I went through the doors of Dol Guldur to face the necromancer and explored his ways and found that our fears were true. The necromancer was Sauron. So that is basically Sauron has a lot of names and the necromancer is one of them. Big surprise. Uh, so they drove him out of Mirkwood. That's where the necromancer's stronghold was, but he had prepared to leave. And then that's why Morgul has been mentioned a few times. His new stronghold was Minas Morgul after that. Okay. 
Uh, and now he's in the Dark Tower again, next to Mount Doom. And wonderful. Let's see. Are we in the middle of Gandalf's bit right here? Yes, we are. Yeah. Uh, so he talks about the ring falling into the river and how, um, how the Hobbit had gotten the ring, meaning Bilbo. Yeah. And that was 17 years ago, blah, blah, blah. They talk a little bit about Gollum and maybe hunting him down. Um, he and, and, he then, and Aragorn go on a mission to track him down, but I think that's a little bit later in the chapter. They, yeah, they talk about it. Um, Aragorn says, I counseled that we should hunt for Gollum, though too late it may seem. Um, but they explain, they explored the wilderness uh, and heard lots of rumors about him, but never actually found him. Um, oh, yeah, I have a note here about Saruman the Wise's words. Um, oh, yes. Tell me what they are. So it's where it. It's talking about Gandalf fell silent, gazing eastward from the porch to the far peaks of the Misty Mountains, at whose great root the peril of the world had so long lain hidden, he sighed. There I was at fault, he said. I was lulled by the words of Saruman the wise, but I should have sought for the truth sooner, and our peril would now be less. Basically what I took from that was, Sauron told him that the ring was gone, and Gandalf believed him, but then at some point it becomes apparent that he was lied to. Right. So in I'm going to try to be quicker about Gandalf's story because it is the bulk of this chapter. Well, it, <laughs> to be it, honest. it's important because we find out where the fuck Gandalf has been for the last. Yes. 12. Chapters. So Gandalf says what you just read. He says that after he talks about driving the necromancer Sauron mm -hmm. out of Mirkwood and back into Mordor. Saruman told him that they didn't need to worry about Sauron, essentially. And Gandalf assumed that that was fine because the ring was lost. Mm -hmm. And that is a problem, as we are learning now, because the ring is not lost. So Gandalf went to Minas Tirith, read the writings of Isildur to hear about Isildur's experience of the ring. So we get some excerpts, basically, from Isildur's diaries, uh, where he talks about... Uh, you know, it was hot when I first took it. It seemed to shrink, though it loseth neither its beauty nor its shape. So it shrinks to fit Isildur's hand. Right. Um, there's language written on the ring that he copies down, which is the one ring to rule them all. That little um, couplet is what's written on the ring. Isildur didn't know what it said, though. Uh, he just knew that it was the language of Mordor. And then he says... <clears throat> He says, yeah, you can you can see the words again if we heat it up. Um, I will risk no hurt to this thing for of all the works of Sauron, the only fair. It is precious to me, though I buy it with great pain. Precious. Precious. Yay. I yes, I uh I highlighted that. I it it is precious to me, though I buy it with great pain. I'm like, that's a little that was chilling. That was a good piece of I liked that. It was a good piece of writing. Yes. So then, then we come to Aragorn saying, yeah, I did catch Gollum. Um, he bit me. I was not gentle, blah, blah, blah. Basically, Mordor had tortured him to find out what became of the ring after he had it. And he told them about Bilbo Baggins. And that is how the Black Riders came to be searching the Shire. And we're basically uh, caught up to everything that had been going on on his little side quest, right? Not quite. Not quite. Uh, Gandalf dares to read the Mordor script in uh, Rivendell and Elrond's like, mm, can't believe you did that. It 
like makes him seem larger and like a shadow pass over the area and everyone's really uncomfortable that he says it but we get the little one ring to rule them all one ring to find them one ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them again some of the like greatest hits of the lord of the rings are in this chapter they absolutely are um so Gollum, we find, was meant to be kept prisoner in Mirkwood, but that's why Legolas is here. Gollum escaped. Yep. How did he do it? They, he like, they felt sorry for him, so they let him climb up a tree to get some air, and while he's up the tree, a battalion of orcs descends upon them, and they think it was um, a coordinated um, movement to get Gollum out of there because he's yes. he's in league with Sauron in some way. Because Sauron knew that Gollum had had the ring and might tell them where it, it what now was. So yes, they, um, they lost Gollum. So that's what brings Legolas here is to be like, Hey guys, we fucked up. Yep. And, um, and Gandalf just says, well, well, he's gone. We have no time to seek for him again. He must do what he will. He may play a part yet that neither he nor Sauron have foreseen. Um, so then Gandalf, now Gandalf is going to tell us about Saruman. And we get the next big piece of his story. He was in the Shire, talking to Frodo, figuring things out. Uh, ran into Radagast the Brown, who is another wizard. Uh, and Radagast said, Nazgul, the nine are abroad again. And that's referring to the Black Riders. Yeah, and he basically says, go to Saruman if you need help, like, forthwith. Yeah, and it tells him that they're in the Shire. And long story short, it ends up being a trap. And Sar- Saruman uh, had achieved the status of the White, which I'm guessing is going to come up again at some point in the future. Like, the, the color coding system of the wizards it's not super well explained in terms of like how that hierarchy works but we do basically call gandalf the gray well basically how how saruman um mocks radagast radagast the brown i'm guessing brown is a lower color but gray is also it seems higher than that right and then and we are led to believe too because of the way that saruman talks about radagast that Radagast wasn't part of trapping Gandalf. It was, he was played. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. So he's basically um, the rube here. And Saruman has, we've learned that he's gone so far into studying the dark arts that his brain has become addled and he has changed sides for lack of a better word. Like he, like, and there may be commentary here on the pursuit of knowledge and how it can drive you crazy at some point. But basically... Doesn't Saruman trap Gandalf somehow? He does. And he pulls out a bunch of names too, because he's not actually Saruman the White. I am Saruman the Wise, Saruman Ringmaker, Saruman of many colors. And his robe is not actually white, but it has all colors. So it's like iridescent. I was like, that actually sounds really, that sounds like a fabulous robe robe to own. I'm like, I don't want to become an evil sorcerer, but like. And Gandalf's like, I liked white better because he's catty. And Saruman's just like, white serves as a beginning. White cloth may be dyed. The white page can be overwritten and the white light can be broken. And then Gandalf, they're kind of speaking in their fun riddles. I love this dialogue. In which case it is no longer white, said I. And he that breaks a thing to find out what it ha- what it, 
is has left the path of wisdom. So yes, your pursuit of knowledge analogy. Um, that was where going it was too coming far. from. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Um, so Saruman's basically like, hey, uh, I want to be on the winning side and Sauron's going to be the winner. So you should help or you should get fucked. And they GTA. trap him basically. Yeah. yeah. They basically trap him on top of the tower of Orthanc, which is Saruman's tower uh, near Rohan. And so he's like stuck there looking up at the stars and knowing that all this bad shit is happening and oh, unable oh. to get around him. And then our friend, or, uh, and then our friends, the Eagles from the Hobbit come and rescue him. They do. They do come to rescue him. But we also find out that Frodo had like some sort of prescient dream because he saw Sar- uh, saw Gandalf walking on top of Saruman's tower. That he did. That he did. I remember this. Yes. Uh, so, yes. Gandalf the Grey caught like a fly in a spider's treacherous web. Yet even the most subtle spiders may leave a weak thread. Uh, Radagast, let's see. At first I feared that Radagast had also fallen, but I hadn't caught no, no hint of anything wrong. So that's where you're led to believe that, uh, probably Radagast was just tricked. And so he eventually got a message to Radagast, who got a message to the eagles, who got Gandalf away from the Tower of Orthanc. And now they're, they call into question, uh, the men of Rohan, which Boromir mentioned earlier as horsemen allies uh that had been given land by the people of gondor mm-hmm. and they are close to saruman's tower and so now people are calling into question whether or not the people of rohan can be trusted because they might be allied with saruman and therefore sauron right just uh problems all around exactly so lots lots to fear about but this is where we get to have a little horse girl interlude with gandalf we get to have a little talk about Oh, man. Okay, so um, Rohan. Boromir says they will buy their lives with horses. They love their horses next to their kin, and not without reason for the horses of the Rittermark, which is another name for Rohan, Mm -hmm. come from the fields of the north, far from the shadow, and their race as that of their masters is descended from the free days of old. And then Gandalf is like, true indeed, and there is one among them that might have been fold in the morning of the world. The horses of the nine cannot vie with him, tireless, swift as the flowing wind. Shadowfax, they called him. By day, his coat glistens like silver, and by night, it is like a shade, and he passes unseen. Light is his footfall. Never before had any man mounted him, but I took him, and I tamed him, and so speedily he bore me that I reached the Shire when Frodo was on the Barrow Downs, though I set out from Rohan only when he set out from Hobbiton. Dang. Yeah, so a fast horse, Kayla. And a fast and iridescent horse, apparently. Yes, a beautiful, beautiful fast horse. Uh, but this is where Gandalf learns what had happened to the hobbits and that they left. And he talked to Butterbur. And he, <laughs> I love that he had talked to Butterbur and gave him, um, gave him an enchantment for his beer so that that would be excellent for seven years. Butterbur, they called him, thought I, if this delay was his fault, I will melt all the butter in him. I'll roast the old fool over a slow fire. I loved that, but then he's like, I actually don't wish bad things on him. I actually hope his his beard does well for seven years. Yes, it was wonderful. Um, it I find a lot of parallels in the way that Gandalf talks to Butterbur and the way that he talks to Pippin. I agree. I think he knows who can take a little razzing and is there to deliver. 
he's like fond of them, but also annoyed by them, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like everybody uh, is amused more than they should be with with the hobbits. Yes. So then Gandalf recounts how he, you know, he's in Bree, he stayed in Bree, he followed them to Weathertop, he's just trying to catch up to them and help out with the Black Riders, and that's why there weren't as many riders uh, following them as they initially thought when they were attacked at Weathertop. It's because Gandalf had drawn some off, and then eventually he brought himself to Rivendell. And, uh, yeah, and then he says, and that Frodo is the end of my account. May Elrond and the others forgive the length of it. I don't forgive you the length of it, Gandalf. I found his part to be very tedious because of how familiar I am with it now. (laughs) I could have done without the horse, the horse bit. Uh, yes. So they, they discuss how troubling it is with Saruman, uh, the Barrow Whites waking up again, blah, blah, blah. They're, like, trying to strategize about, like, can we keep the ring with Tom Bombadil and make it harmless? Can we save it somewhere else? Like, can we throw it away? Blah, blah, blah. Who has the strength to take care of it? And um, eventually they they come to the conclusion that they have no choice but to take the ring and throw it into Mount Doom and destroy it because it can't be kept safely anywhere. Yeah. I think... I Hold on. Gandalf has a spot where he says... Not safe forever. There are many things in the deep waters and season land may change. It is not on our part here to take this. Take thought only for a season or for a few lives of men or for a passing age of the world. We should seek a final end to this menace, even if we do not hope to make one. I'm like, that's one of those moments where, like we were talking about earlier in the episode, where that question of like fate and what to do and making plans kind of comes into the question. Gandalf raises the we can't just put it off to deal with later. Like we've got, that's kind of where the, we've got to destroy this. Right. And so then once they come to that conclusion, it's like, okay, well, who's going to take it? And Boromir's just like, I got to defend Gondor. Like who else is going to keep defending you guys in the meantime? And the dwarves are kind of like, oh yeah, well, we were going back to Moria to find the rings there. And if we have that, then we can combat it. And, you know, the elves are just like, yeah, no, our rings were never touched by Sauron. We can't fight him with these rings. You know, uh, that we're not sure what's going to happen when the one ring is destroyed. Um, they're like, they're talking in circles and there's a lot of really nice dialogue. Um, mm-hmm. Just it, it, about despair, about folly, about necessity. And so Gandalf says, I, I love this line. So he says, Despair is only for those who see the end beyond all doubt. We do not. It is wisdom to recognize necessity when all other courses have been weighed, though as folly it may appear to those who cling to false hope. Let folly be our cloak, a veil before the eyes of the enemy. So basically, he's saying, yeah, this plan is going to work because Sauron cannot possibly think that we would come to the conclusion that the ring should be destroyed. He thinks that we are weak enough to be tempted by this ring to try and use it against him. Mm-hmm. So we're going to use that against him. And then the discussion <laughs> so, comes down to who's taking the ring to Mount Doom. And I think we all know how that decision is going to go. Yes. No one answered. The noon bell rang. Still no one spoke. Frodo glanced at all the faces, but they were not turned to him. All the council sat with downcast eyes as if in deep thought. 
a great dread fell on him, as if he was awaiting the pronouncement of some doom that he had long foreseen and vainly hoped might, after all, never be spoken. An overwhelming longing to rest and remain at peace by Bilbo's side in Rivendell filled all his heart. At last, with an effort, he spoke, and wondered to hear his own words, as if some other will was using his small voice. I will take the ring, he said though I do not know the way. So that was the section in particular where I was like, we'll come back to this. This is the later I was talking about where Frodo knows he's known how this is going to end and he has kind of wanted to ignore it, but like it is staring him in the face and now he's got to like, he's got to commit to it. I am so glad that you talked first because I had to take a moment to collect myself because that paragraph always makes me cry a little bit. Um, because I think that I've talked a little bit in the past about um, Tolkien feeling like the cyclical nature of the hero's journey yeah. and really conveying that, um, just regardless of the uh, McCarthy model, the hero being a figure of tragedy. Well, and yeah, continue. I'm sorry. No, no, no it's okay. Uh, it's the line where he says... Um, an overwhelming longing to rest and remain at peace by Bilbo's side and Rivendell filled all his heart. So that's the part that always really gets me because it's like an inevitability. And then right? Elrond kind of goes on in the next paragraph to like reaffirm that whole like you, we, they all know it's got to be Frodo. Elrond raised his eyes and looked at him and Frodo fell to his heart pierced by the sudden keenness of the glance. If I understand aright all that I have heard, he said, I think this is the task appointed for you, Frodo, and that if you do not find a way, no one will. This is the hour of the Shire folk when they arise from their quiet fields to shake the towers and councils of the great, who of all the wise could have foreseen it. Or if they yeah. are wise, why should they expect to know it until the hour has struck? And he, oh, oh, yeah. and the, the the other part that got me was, it is a heavy burden, and then I, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I do not lay it on you, but if you take it freely, I will say that your choice is right. Yeah. It's, this is a good piece uh, of writing. Like I'm, I'm like, I know we don't typically read large swaths of passages from a chapter, but this particular part of this chapter is probably, I'm going to be a little lofty here, it's probably one of the best written passages in... English literature, if I had to. I I would agree. And, you know, I, I don't have any goofs about this. Like, we make a lot of goofs about the writing and stuff, but this is the crux of this book. And to some extent, the crux of the entire story in, is the idea that some terrible, necessary thing has to be done, and it's not any of these great lords that's going to do it. But then we even... It's just a guy. Yes, and then we even laugh about the relationship between Sam and Frodo, like, a lot, but even little Sam here, but you wouldn't send him off alone, surely, master, cried Sam, unable to contain himself any longer and jumping up from the corner where he had been quietly sitting on the floor. But then, it because it's Tolkien, he throws in a little humor. It's like Sam wasn't supposed to be there at all, and he kind of, like, snuck into the meeting. To... Yeah. You at least shall go with him. It is hardly possible to separate you from him, even when he is summoned to a secret council, and you are not. And, and I just, yeah. And... It's like the first two people to volunteer for this horrible, arduous 
tragic necessary thing that's going to change them irreparably and make it impossible to come back to this sense of peace. Like, the first two people to volunteer for that are just two guys, you know? Two bros, Brad and Chad. Uh-huh. That's okay. That's not what I was implying. <laughs> I know. But yes, I but know. Uh, but yeah, that's where our that's where our chapter ends. Is that those two have spoken up to uh, to say that they'll take the ring? Yeah. yeah, Kayla, do you have some predictions? They're gonna go on an adventure to destroy the ring in Mount Doom. I mean, like, I mean, that's that's a great prog- prediction. I'm, yeah. Once again, I'm going for the low hanging fruit here. I also, earlier in the chapter, made a list of people that I had a feeling were also going to go on this adventure. And that is because, broad strokes, I remember that they are all present on that journey at some point. Um, I can also see the chapter titles of the next, like, six chapters in the book. Eight chapters. Well, stop. Stop looking at them. Well, I'm going to guess the ring goes south. Sure. Um, other than that, I don't have any like major predictions. Obviously, obviously, it's gonna go awry because we've still got two and a half more books in the main series to go, and yes, that's a lot of walking, and a lot of trees, and a lot of ponies. A lot of ponies. A lot of ponies, indeed. Well, that's it for today. So, Kayla, you want to tell folks where they can find you online, what projects you got floating around out there? Oh, my gosh. So my other major project right now is um, The Broad Chronicles. It is a women's history podcast with a touch of mirth or comedy, as as you will. Um, I'm currently working on episode number five right now, which will be about Queen Charlotte of Bridgerton fame because everybody and their brother is on that that train right now and it actually is a really good story and i'm just vibing this summer i'm doing a um sims legacy challenge on my tiktok right now (laughs) that's been on pause for a few days but i'm gonna pick that up probably the beginning of next week and yeah just just uh enjoying um some time for my passion projects and sleeping while school's out what are you up to as one does I host another podcast called Alone at the Table, where I play solo RPGs, and I invite listeners to come along for the experience. And that is part of the Moonshot Network, which I am so glad to have joined. You can find my show and others at moonshotpods.com. I also post games with my small press, Hope Punk Press, which you can find at hopepunkpress.com, or you can find my solo stuff online at Lady Tabletop. I'm on Tumblr, HIO, and Coffee. Very nice. Uh, Where can people find the show? They can, this show. Oh, yeah. So they can find the podcast under, I want to say we are Mordor underscore she wrote on Instagram. That is where the majority of our social interactions happen. You can email the show at Mordor she wrote podcast at gmail.com. We also have a TikTok, Mordor she wrote podcast. And I believe that is all of our social media channels. I just feel like it's tradition at this point, and I have to mention the fact that we do have a Facebook page. Um, it exists, and that is all we can say about it. because it. Where can people get in touch with us if they <laughs> want to join 
the show as a guest because we are doing some episodes with guests. Uh, you heard my friend Chris on the last episode, and we've got another episode coming up with uh, my husband Aaron, and we will keep having guests on the show. But the best place to reach us is email, which is Mordor She Wrote Podcast at gmail.com, right? Yes. Um, the email is good. DMs on Instagram are also good. I'm on Instagram all the time. That's where you can find us. We hope you'll check it out. We hope you'll rate and review if you like the show because it helps other people find us. Yes. And Kayla, you want to take us out? Yeah. Um, dear listeners, may the stars shine on the end of your